Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning and welcome. So good to hear the uh, conversation happening in the house as we connect with one another, and I hope you're enjoying uh, some connecting online too. As we are here this morning, I am excited to introduce a guest who we have, who is a guest, meaning that he doesn't, isn't here every week, but many of you know him. Dwayne Harder is a spiritual father to Koinonia and has been, is an apostolic elder by a term that we've given him, and Dwayne has been here many times over the years. He uh, has been a spiritual father to Pastor Steve and Beth and their family, and we've been honored to have Dwayne here all week long. He's been connecting with us as an elders Steve. team, as a pastoral team, one-on-ones. We've had lots of conversations, Amen. and we've even had time for him to sit down, look me in the eye, and ask me the hard questions. I've invited him to do that. Dwayne has, um, over his years of ministry, he has pastored. He has been a therapist, he has studied theology, and he's been challenged to study psychology. And the only reason he doesn't have a PhD is because God told him, I don't need it, Dwayne. I could work through you without one. But he has served teaching in Bible colleges in India, New Zealand. He's, he's spoken in churches in Uganda, um, Kenya. Uh, many different places. Yes. I asked him, what's the mileage you have? And it's somewhere around two and a quarter million miles by air. Yeah. I give you that not to boast on him, but because he won't tell you that. And if you don't know him, you're like, why should I listen to this man? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I asked that too. <laughs> <laughs> I have the answer. Because he humbles himself before God. He doesn't open his mouth quickly. He waits to listen to what the Spirit is speaking. And then he intentionally says, Lord, give me the words so that I might share. So he's here with a word for us, Koinonia community. And I also want to express thanks to his family. His wife, Marva, of 57 years, went on to heaven to glory in February of this year. And he has three adult kids. He has 28 grandchildren and great-grandchildren, I forgot to ask. Ten. Ten. So I want to say thank you to the Harder family as well for sharing him with our Koinonia community. We don't take this relationship for granted. Would you bow with me as I pray? (laughs) Father God, we are here in your house We are here to listen to your voice. We thank you for your son who desires to serve you obediently, faithfully, and out of a relationship of love for you. May you unleash through Duane what you want us to receive today, because we want what you have in store, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Brian. Thank you. It's always amazing to me that God can take a little boy 
from Nowheresville, Alberta, and place him wherever he desires to place him. It's a testimony to how good and how great God is. Amen? And I, I am grateful for that. I, I am very grateful for family here at Koinonia, and that has been a relationship over many years. I realize as I look out through bright lights, <laughs> I think I can see <laughs> that there are many here that I have not met, and that's always an encouragement to me uh, to see people continually brought together in the purposes of God. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And I'm grateful to God for it. I've appreciated the years with Steve and Beth, and I've appreciated the years, the fewer years of, of getting acquainted and being able to work with Brian and Rebecca and, and the eldership team here. I am very grateful. I also want to thank you. Uh, whether you realize it or not, you support us on a monthly basis. And uh, when Marva was with me, we together never took that lightly. We are grateful to God for his faithfulness in his provision. I, uh, Rebecca asked me how I was doing, and I said, well, I shed some tears during all my life. You have been faithful. I just thought, God, that is true. You have been. And just coming here and remembering the last time when the wheelchair was down there, it's just like, God, you have been faithful through all of these years and through this time. Uh, I do have a question for you this morning. I want to read a portion of scripture and pose a question. And you might be wondering what the question is and not be able to concentrate on the scripture. But I'm going to read the scripture first, and then I'm going to ask you the question. And it's 1 John chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, you know, if you turn to it, your iPad, your iPod, your iPhone, your Android, your Andronicus, whatever. <laughs> fellow was standing up with his iPad, iPod, I guess, and I said, uh, I was speaking after him, I said, well, all I have is a Peapod. <laughs> First John chapter 4, and I'd like to pick it up at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Let's say that together. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this love of God, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For one, no one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. 
And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And my question for you this morning is this. How's your love life? How's your love life? Now, I'm not trying to probe into the sensitive areas of intimate personal relationships. But I am asking you seriously... How is your love life? Because this passage has a lot to say about love, doesn't it? Has to say about loving God and what else? Loving one another. You see, unfortunately, in English, we only have one word. So I can say to you, I love chocolate. And I mean, that, that's an appropriate focus of love, isn't it? In fact, I think it's going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb along with black licorice, not, the, not that phony red stuff, the real stuff, okay? Now, if I say I love that, you have an idea that I probably have, you know, kind of a craving, for, right? I can say I love my dog. One psychology class, the uh, uh, fellow, one of the fellows came back the next morning and said, I was so mixed up the other day, I went home and slapped my dog and kissed my wife. Oh, no, he said, pardon me. I kissed the dog and slapped my wife. <laughs> see, we talk about loving our horse, loving our dog, loving a cow, you see, whatever. And we put those all together, don't we? I love hockey, even though the Toronto Maple Leafs aren't doing well. <laughs> I love football. I love skiing. Do you get the picture? We use that word across so much. But if I say to you, I loved Marva. See, does that put it into a different category? Yes, that does put it into a different category. Now, you see, can I give you a Greek lesson this morning? I'm going to anyway. <laughs> see, if I, there are four words in Greek to describe love. We only have one in English. That's the problem, isn't it? But you see, I could use the word eros. You would kind of understand where that's going, wouldn't you? We speak of it as an erotic love. Don't just think of it in a sexual term. Think of it in a sensual term. That's a love that is based upon the sensual stimulus that I get in a situation. And so there is some tie that takes place because of it. I could give you the chemical compounds that released in your brain during a sexual intercourse. And, and you see, that gives you a feeling of something, but that is not love. 
That's just a result of the chemistry of your body. Are we together? See, I can use the word storge. That's another word. That's a little higher than the word eros, but it's just basically a word that describes like. I like it. Now, I could say phileo. We know Philadelphia, right? City of brotherly love. Philadelphia, or phileo, is a love that is there through mutual exchange. So I like you, you like me, I give you, you give to me. We have a mutual compatibility of exchange. But if you don't give me what I want to have, or you stop giving me what I like, what happens to the love? Eventually, you begin to separate because there's nothing that binds you together. But when I come to agape, or agape, pronounced both ways, if I come to agape, I'm talking about a love that transcends everything that is human because that's the love that finds its origin in God. In fact, you look in classical Greek, it's really rarely, I think there's only one primary use of it. Used of God. This is a self-giving love that says, I will invest in you for your good. I will impart to you what is needed in your life. I will keep on doing that regardless of whether you respond to me positively, regardless of whether you show affection back to me. I will just keep on giving. I will keep on giving. I will keep on giving. Amen? For God so loved the world, the ordered system of things, What did he do? He kept on giving from the beginning of time until he finally came and gave the ultimate gift of his son because his love was poured out not on any basis of our return but on the basis of what he wanted to give to us to bring our lives into a better place with him. Amen? He didn't give. He doesn't love you because he wants your love in return. He loves you because you need his love. He loves me because I need his love, whether I recognize it or not. So when we're talking about love, this love in this passage, we're talking of the highest level of abandonment. Now, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, <clears throat> the passage about love. And he says to us, look, I can speak with the tongue of men and of angels, I wouldn't mind that, would you? Yeah, it'd be nice. Have the fluency, the glory, everything, the tongue of men and angels. But what does he say? If I do not have love, what have I become? I become sounding brass and clanging cymbals. Now, if you've been in some of these foreign countries, you know what it is. You go into the marketplace and everyone is clamoring one way or the other to get your attention, to get you in to buy their product. It's a self-focused word. In other words, I am speaking in order to draw attention to myself. I'm speaking in order for you to have a response back to me. He says, if if, if I'm doing that, What is it? He said, it's nothing. It's nothing. Oh, he goes on. He says, I could have the gift of prophecy, know all mysteries, have all knowledge, 
be able to say to this mountain, be removed from here? You don't have to worry about that in Ontario because there aren't any mountains to move. But <laughs> Say to this mountain, be removed, cast into the sea? Now, wouldn't you like to have that power? Yeah, wow. We get enamored by that power. But God said if it isn't rooted, grounded, and coming out of the fountain of love, what does he call it? He said it is worth again, nothing. Why? Because self-determination, self-promotion is at the core of it. You see, people do great things. Is that right, church? People do great things. I stand. I, I watch. I watched. Uh, somebody sent me a clip of these uh, figure skaters. This couple dancing, and the man who was part of the team was totally blind. I watched them perform, and I thought, man, I can't even do that with both eyes. <laughs> oh, maybe if I was blind, I could do it. It was, it was great, right? The pyramids, they were great, weren't they? No cranes, no, no drones, nothing to lift these things up, and they got those blocks up there. I mean, these are great accomplishments. But were they done with love? No, they weren't. And God says, you can have great accomplishments. You can have a fantastic resume. You can have accomplished magnificent things, but if it has not grown out of love, he said it's not worth anything. Not worth anything. He also says, I could give my possessions to feed the poor. I could actually make the ultimate sacrifice, giving my body to be burned. I could give millions of dollars out of my pool of billions of dollars. I could give millions. And he said, if I have not nothing, what is it? Same thing, it is nothing. It's simply an act that I'm doing. I'm trying to buy your honor and your adulation. Right? Has no, no value. So that's when I say, if I have not love, what does it amount to? What does it amount to? Now, when you have a wife who is totally invalid and in the last while has to be fed with a little syringe, you see, you're, do, you, do you follow me? I can do that out of duty. Or as I discovered, I had to come to God and say, God, if I don't tap into your reservoir of love, what I'm doing for her is equal to Zero. Amen? So you come face to face with the bankruptcy of your own heart, as I've had to. The incapacity of my own heart to be able to say, I am loving as God would love. See, because God wants us to be able to be honest with what is in the heart and to be able to say, God I am devoid of agape love. I operate within phileo. That's where God was after with Peter. Do you love me, Peter? 
came down to phileo. Do you actually have that mutual exchange of affection? Peter was grieved because he knew the next one down wasn't good. Now, that's why I believe the Holy Spirit is confronting us today, confronting me as he has for about the past seven years to determine, is this out of the love of God? Does it bring to her that which she needs of the presence of God to refresh and strengthen her spirit, to make her strong in spirit as she goes the last distance in the race? Are we together here, church? How's my love life? How's your love life? Now, he says here that if I don't love God, if I don't love you, I cannot actually say I love God. Now, he uses a, a phrase here, love and hate. He says, you know, do I hate? Well, you say, I don't hate anyone. Let me ask you a question. Are there people with whom you have an emotional distance? You've just sort of, I'll leave you out there. I'm not going to let you get too close because I don't want to get hurt. That's the word hate. Hate is not some virulent emotion of, oh, I could slaughter this person. I could put my arms around his neck and, you know, let him breathe his last breath. That's murder. <laughs> hate is when I emotionally distance myself from you because I do not want you to be able to hurt me. So I will close the door to you and keep you at a distance. They did a little experiment in a children's hospital. Well, they did it in more than one when they started to discover this. They were giving children in the, in the terminal wards these hospital playsets to play with. And as the children got closer to the last days of their life, the nurses and doctors were put out into the hallway. And so they started to explore this. What is this? And what they discovered was this. As they began to interview the nurses and doctors, the nurses and doctors were saying, I can't stand to see this child die. I can't stand to lose this child. And so what will I do? I will emotionally distance myself so I don't feel the pain of their loss. Do you get the picture? That's hate. That's actually your word, hate. We emotionally distance ourselves so that we do not have to absorb any more pain. We say, we've had enough. I've had enough. I've had enough. When did Jesus cry on the cross? I've had enough. Stop it. Get me off here. Did you remember? As I've read it, that's not one of his last seven words. See, because love does not do that. Love puts ourselves in a very vulnerable place. Now, we love the Lord with all our heart. You have a heart? I hope so, because <laughs> I'd be looking at a bunch of spirits. <laughs> yeah. I discovered something very interesting about the heart, Dr. Friend who was a cardiologist, said to me, Dwayne, do you realize that the heart has its own intelligence? I thought, oh, that's where all mine went. <laughs> <laughs> so he began to explain it to me. 
I said, well, let me give you a scripture back because he says, my son, give me your heart for out of it flow the issues of life. And when I had been meditating on that scripture, I came to see that the heart was really the governmental center of your life. That's where all your values are deposited. That's where all your decisions find their origin because they're rooted in the values of our lives. And so when he said that to me, I said, you know, this is tremendous. Thank you. And I told him, gave him some scripture, what I was uh, walking, trying to understand. And I saw something. You see, I love the Lord my God with all my heart. That is God. You have the total control of the governmental center of my life. The life of the body is in the blood. That's what the scripture says. Now you have the governmental control. You see, too many of us live with the perception, God is my co-pilot. Oh, glory to God. I've got a co-pilot beside me. God said, I ain't taking that designation. I want to be the owner of the plane and the pilot. Are we together here? So when I love the Lord God with all my heart, I'm saying I have surrendered every bit of governmental direction and decision-making to you, Lord God. You are the government, period. Now, there's a scripture Paul gives to the Corinthians. He said, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. That always causes us to triumph is, again, giving you a Greek lesson, one Greek word. And the Greek word is attached to a phenomena that used to take place. Whenever the Roman army went out and conquered, they would conquer the general of that army or the leader of that army. Then they would head back in their procession back to Rome. And when they rode into Rome, the, the, the general of the conquering army, the, the Roman army, was in the chariot, triumphant, riding along. And guess who was attached to the chariot? The general who had been conquered was tied to the chariot, fastened to the chariot. So wherever the chariot went, that's where the general went. Do you get the picture? He causes us to triumph. He ties us. We're bound to the chariot because we have been conquered by the king of kings. And so wherever the king's chariot goes, there I go. So what's your circumstance? If you're tied to the chariot, who got you there? Come on. If you're tied to the chariot, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, you're saying, God, I am fastened to your chariot. Wherever that chariot goes, I am going with you because that's where the victory of Jesus Christ is. Amen? I'm fastened to the chariot. I've been conquered. I've given over my will, my right to life, to the one who has conquered me. So if I head up in a dead-end cul-de-sac, is that the will of God? You'd better believe it is, because that's where the chariot's taken you. I'd better be able to say, glory, hallelujah, praise God. The scenery in this cul-de-sac is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Amen? Because God don't do nothing without a purpose. Good grammar, I think. 
We love with all our soul. We adjust our emotions to love what God loves and to hate what God hates. Amen? That's loving the Lord our God. I want to be able to love what he loves and I want to be able to hate what he hates so that my emotions again are completely captivated by him so that I can enter into his heart to hate evil, to hate that which is divisive, to hate those things which are contrary to his purposes, but to love the brethren, to love what he loves. He loves the church. Doesn't he? Come on, church. He loves the church. Warts, bumps, everything, he loves the church. So if he loves the church, should I badmouth the church? Come on. Because he loves it. He doesn't like me talking bad about his bride. He loves it. All my strength, the alignment of my skills and abilities to his purposes. It's sad to read that about 85% of the people, 87% of the people that go to work don't like their jobs. You know, that's because they're working for the wrong person. I didn't say the wrong job, the wrong person. If they know that they're there by divine appointment, the King of Kings has said, I want you to show this people how Jesus works. I want you to demonstrate to this people how the Lord Jesus works. It's a different different frame of reference, isn't it? A man that worked for one of the auto companies in the United States died, and there were at his funeral 325 people from that plant. And the man who was conducting the funeral went amongst them, started talking, asked, what, what is it? What is it that, that brought you here? And etc. They said, well, this man showed us what Jesus Christ looks like in coveralls. I thought, what a testimony. Amen? So I love the Lord with all my strength. I love him with all my mind. The alteration of my mind to know, understand, and bring into the whole of my being, inculcate is a good word that sums that up, all of God's thoughts. See, do you want your mind renewed? I need my mind renewed. I need it renewed every day. You know why? Because he comes and says, you didn't do enough for Myra. You should have done more. You should have cared more. Now, who's the author of that? Come on. Who's the author of that? The devil. Now, God, I need my mind renewed. I need your thought put back in there. So the man who's been told he will amount to nothing lives under the curse of his father's words. Does he need to get that renewed in his mind so that he doesn't walk out that curse? Yes, he does. Or the girl who's had the pronouncement, even as a, as a young girl, you're just a slut. Does she need to get that mind renewed? Get another thought put in her mind about a God who personally formed her, created her, is delighted with what he made? Amen? Amen? You see, the renewing of our mind, because I want my mind 
to know, understand, and as I use the word inculcate, take in, absorb, inculcate all of God's thoughts. So I just simply ask people, what are you doing with the word? Are you allowing that word to wash you day by day? To come in and to realign the thinking? Then he says, to love my neighbor as myself. He had to add that. I just think, I don't know, maybe some scribe got a little anxious. And... <laughs> but it's there, isn't it? Now, what is our problem here? Why is it that we have difficulty with this love life? I call it autonomous man. Autonomous man is the man who thinks outside of God. Who leaves himself as the measure, as the judge of good and evil. Who says, this is good and this is evil. This is okay for me. This is not okay for me. I'm the judge. I can't be. Paul said, I won't judge myself. And neither should you. You see, when I put myself at the center and I make myself and my world the center of evaluation, I can say, you're not wearing a mask. Don't you care about the people around you? And so I can push you away. Or I can come and say, well, you're wearing a mask. What good do you think that's going to do? Don't you know that the, 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 the virus is tinier than the and the little, the little holes in that mask, and it'll just get out anyway. Well, let's have a fight over it, okay? <laughs> I say, God help us. If you want to wear a mask, I'm not going to stand and I'm not going to judge you for wearing it. If you don't want to wear a mask, I'm not going to stand and, wear, uh, and judge you. There's one person who judges us. Who's that? That's God. You see, if I am eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I will leave myself as the judge, the jury, and I will pronounce the sentence of death on you. I mean, I will just pronounce, you know. I can't do that. You can't do that. Because we together answer to one judge. That's the one before whom we stand. Amen? And I have to leave these preferential things in his hands for him to judge. Now, we love because he first loved us. Is that clock actually right? <laughs> Who's moving it ahead? <laughs> I used to do that piano practicing with the timer that my mom gave me. <laughs> It worked until she started looking at the kitchen clock. <laughs> and then saying, you weren't there for 20 minutes, son. <laughs> uh. Now, you see, the, my Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God. Yours says that too? And I say without faith it's impossible to please God. Without hope it's impossible to endure with God. Without love it's impossible to represent God. Faith, hope, and love. Amen? Amen. 
See, faith opens my eyes to the revelation of God. Hope anchors my soul in the word of God. But love engages my will to the work of representing God. Amen? Love does that. And that's what I want. Now, if you look at that passage in Romans chapter 5, you'll find a very interesting sequence. Because I'm justified by faith. We are justified by faith, right? Faith introduces us to the grace of God. And I think grace is a person, it's the Holy Spirit. We get introduced to the helper who comes along and says, I'm going to be alongside of you. I'm going to be there to enable you to do what? The will of God. And that enables me to hope in the glory of God. Because, you see, I couldn't be like Jesus unless the Holy Spirit was there carving the image of Jesus in me. Right? So I have hope for the glory of God. So do you. That you're going to be like Jesus. Amen? I ain't what I ought to be, but I ain't what I used to be, and I ain't what I'm going to be. That was Gert Bahana's pronouncement on her life. Now, in this, I do something. You see, because once I get into this, I have to buy into God's whole contract. And in that contract, it says, I'm to exalt in, what's the word? Tribulations. Glory, hallelujah. I just love them, don't you? <laughs> I was reading in Corinthians where Paul was saying to exalt, uh, you know, he, he glorified God in his infirmity, I thought, God, I have never once in all of my, at that point, 75 years ever glorified in tribulation or in infirmity. Anyone with me? Never have. But when I started to see it, I saw God was saying, you exalt in tribulation because tribulation does what? It begins to give you proven character. It shows that you can endure the whole. And that produces hope. As you journey along and you can see the progress, I was actually in tears there this morning when they were singing, faithful God, faithful, that he's been faithful, tracing back God all of those years, 57 together, and the years that we knew each other, knew each other 75 years. You've been faithful, God, because it helps me to see. You see, as God begins to work, he helps you to see how he has been so faithful in the whole of your life. The whole of your life. And hope does not disappoint. Now here it is. Because the hope that draws us up to the presence of the Father, he says the love of God is poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The more you let God take you through the tribulation, take you through the difficulty, take you through the pain, through the suffering, the more that causes you to depend on him, to call upon him, to cry out for him, the more you're preparing your heart to receive a deeper, deeper revelation of the love of God. Because he pours it into you. I allow this to work its work in me. And he says, that's good, Duane, because now you're carving out a place for me to fill. You're creating a, a vacuum into which I will come. The supernatural, supreme God will come in. Isn't that wonderful? He just says, you let this work in you, and I will work something in you that you cannot even believe is possible. 
I will pour my love into you. Pour it in. Not just drip it in. There are times that I operated the little drip mechanism for Marva. That's not the way God brings his love. He pours it in. Now in this, we love because he first loved us. See, down underneath it is the strong, confident assurance who will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or nakedness or peril or sword? But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor principalities, nor angels, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any power or any other creature can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? See, that's my confidence. It's this, that God is for me. He does all things well. Now, I realize I'm, I'm kind of going over the speed limit here. Could I just conclude with this little bit here? See, I want you to have a picture of this. Because we, we get all set up, upset about the law. Law and grace. Any, anyone, you know, I'm for law. No, I'm for grace. But that's because we don't understand the law. That's because we don't understand the heart of God. If I see the law here and the prophets over here, Jesus talked to the men on the road to Emmaus, and he said, look, I want to show you that I'm in all of that. You can't cancel the law. You just have to understand the heart of God in it. You see, so if you can start over here with the law and begin to say, God, help me to see. God will help you to see. Here's my brother down here. What am I going to do? Am I going to speak death words? Am I going to speak destructive words? Am I going to speak putting down words, denigrating words? Or am I going to speak words of life? The law says thou shalt not kill. That's a law. Yes, I understand it. And the policeman says, did you obey it? I'll kill you if you didn't. But God says, no, 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 no. I want you to see in that word, I have told you how much I value every living person. If I use the law as a mechanism of judgment, I've lost it. But if I can say, God, I want to see through it. I want to see it through your eyes. You're telling me you love that person. You placed high value. You personally formed that individual in the womb. You were there creating with your own hands in the womb of his mother. You were there, God. And you placed value upon that person. They may have made wrong choices. They may have done things that are are backwards to you. But that doesn't change the fact that an infinite personal God was personally in the womb of that mother, shaping and forming, and he has a destiny for that person. Amen? And because of that, I want to get alongside God. I want to be able to help that person come to see that destiny, come to understand that deep purpose that God has, and more than that, to understand the deep love that God has for that person, who, the God who created them. Do you get the picture, church? 
So a covenant loyalty. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell in Trinity. And they say, look, we want the triunity of our being, the nature of who we are to get fleshed out in how people live together in unity. So I don't want to break covenant. I don't want to rip things apart where God wants them together. I want to see God manifest in the unity of his body. God, I see it differently. I will not break covenant, not because I have a law, but because I have a revelation of how you love the unity of the body of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? And so I could go through all of it and even get into deeper trouble. We come over here to the prophet. You see, the prophet, yeah, we love the prophet. Nineveh, you're going to burn. Those vicious people acted so despicably. God, bring the hammer down. Nineveh, go pronounce my word. Nineveh runs off, gets swallowed by a fish, gets burped up onto the shore. First thing he hears is his wife say, Honey, aren't you coming home for supper? I'm having, I'm having fish. <laughs> That's enough for him to hightail it off to Nineveh. Gets there, pronounces the message. Boy, God is going to put down his hammer on you, you wretched criminal people. They hear the word. They repent in sackcloth and ashes. And God withholds his judgment. And Nineveh has a pout. Because God didn't do what he told me he was going to do. And God says, but you didn't understand. I only gave you that word because I wanted to stir their heart. I wanted their conscience to be alivened. I wanted them to come to terms with eternity. And they repented. They repented in sackcloth and ashes. Can't you see my heart? I don't pronounce the judgment because I take delight in killing people. I pronounce the judgment because I want in that word of judgment to stir the conscience and turn their hearts so that they would return to me. That's my heart. So if I read in the New Testament about the man of sin being manifest, I read about the horrible things that can come in the judgments of God. Is that because God wants to wipe people out? No. It's because God wants to stir the conscience of a nation. Canada, he wants to stir the heart of people and say, this is bringing the judgment of God, and that's eternal. So turn, repent, that's the heart of God. I take no delight in the death of the wicked, he says, but that their heart will be turned to me. He speaks his prophetic word in order to call people to repentance, to get aligned to him to come into the fullness of his life. So let me ask you again, how is your love life? How's my love life? I had to face it. But the joy to me was watching. Our daughter Carla and grandchildren were singing. I think I can say it. They were singing, Nearer my God to thee. I was holding my beloved watched her eyes look up into the corner of the room, saw her in my spirit dancing into the presence of God. A life poured out because my wife lived the love I'm talking about, helped her husband to come to terms with that love. And I'm here to ask you, 
to come before God. How is my love life? I wanted to line to you because I see the power of that love going out through these doors into Kitchener, Waterloo, into Bloomingdale, into the region. I see the power of that love being that which will turn the hearts of people away from their self-centeredness into the heart of the Father. May God so give us that revelation that we will move by the power of the Spirit to release the power of his love into our circle of environment. And I ask you for that in Jesus' name, Father. I pray that there would be a fresh baptism of your spirit upon this people, a fresh baptism of love that gets into the heart, into the mind, into the emotion, into the will, that moves us together to accomplish your purpose. We ask you for that, Father, in Jesus' name and for your kingdom's sake. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.